listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Hey, uh, I want to tell you about Francis Chan. He's an author. He's a pastor. Uh, he's a disciple maker. He wrote an article one time, and it was entitled this. It was, it was The Greatest Thing You Can Do Today. The Greatest Thing You Can Do Today. And in that article, he asked a question, and his question was this. When was the last time that you spent meaningful time alone with God? When was the last time you spent meaningful time alone with God? Time so good that you didn't want to leave. Time where you were hearing from God and from his word and you were in the presence of God. When was the last time you had meaningful time alone? Alone with God. And one of the things that Francis Chan was talking about is just how we've become so good with gathering. Like we gather for the big band or, we, or the speakers or the conferences or the event or you know, the, the big name preacher or pastor to come in, leadership guy. Man, we, we love the gatherings. We, we love the big things. And he's like, I'm not opposed to those. I've gone to the conferences. I've written the books. I've done those things. He's like, I'm not opposed to those things. But he goes, but here's where we have failed. We have failed in teaching believers how to be alone with God. How to be alone with God. When was the last time you had meaningful time alone with God? Time so good that you didn't want to leave. Francis Chan said, you know what, our... A lot of us struggle with our alone time with God. And that can be a dangerous thing when we come together in our gatherings. In fact, he said it can even be toxic. And he goes, and the reason for that is if we're not spending time with God and letting his thoughts become our thoughts. He goes, I've been in a lot of groups when we were all quick to share our thoughts or ideas. We wanted to get them out there. But because we were not spending time alone with God, we can be quick to share our thoughts. But our thoughts are not always as profound as we think they are. He said, this is a God who said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways as the heavens are higher than the earth. So my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And so Francis, he was just saying, I want to be with people who have been with God. I want to fellowship with people who are fellowshipping with God. I want to be around people who have spent time with him. He said, I would rather spend time with a 15-year-old who's been in the presence of God than a doctorate of theology who has 60 years of experience. And he said, the reason for that is I want to be with people who have been with God. When was the last time you had meaningful time alone with God? There's no substitute for time alone with God. And if we haven't had it, we got to make room for it. We got to quit something to make room for it. Francis says we live in a time when people are have a difficult time concentrating on anything and we're constantly looking for a quick fix or for easy solutions. And so the thought of quietly being alone and meditating on scripture or praying deeply We often just want to replace it by listening to a sermon as we drive down the road. And he said, you know what? Maybe that's helpful in in an age right now where so many voices are coming at us from so many different directions. 
But there's no substitute for being alone with God. We must learn to be still again. Is that a practice in your life? Josh Howard, one of our workers in India, asked a question that I thought was so appropriate for what we're talking about today. He said, if someone who was curious about being a disciple of Jesus were to have followed you around this past week, if they had just followed you and did everything you did for this past week, and if you're like me, some of you are like, oh, yeah, what did I do this past week? What was Monday? It's hard to remember so many things. Would they be more like Jesus? Would they, would they become a disciple of Jesus if they just did what you did this week? And Josh Howard said, man, when I, I feel like the Holy Spirit was convicting me because when I began to think about that, if someone followed me through my entire week, a week later, would they know what it was like to be a disciple of Jesus? Would they become a disciple of Jesus if they just did what I did? And he was convinced they would not. He said they would know what it was like to, to go from meeting to meeting, from Zoom call to Zoom call. They, they would learn what it was like to go from one spiritual activity to another spiritual activity. They, they would know what it was like to do a lot of things, but they, it wouldn't make them a disciple of Jesus, which made Josh step back and evaluate Am I doing the things that are essential to being a disciple of Jesus? Are those things present in my life? Because if someone did what I did and they don't become a disciple of Jesus, then who am I to think that somehow by me doing the things I did am going to be a disciple of Jesus? When was the last time you spent meaningful time alone with God, time so good you didn't want to leave? What does that look like? What is most important? What's missing from our lives? If you would stand to your feet, I want us to read about it. It's in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We want to read God's word together as we see what he says to us about what it looks like. What it looks like to abide in Jesus. These words we're reading are some of the final words that Jesus spoke before he went to the cross. This is his final night with his disciples. He knows it's his last words. When someone knows it's their last words, it's going to be important. So we want to lean in and listen to Jesus as he tells his disciples before he goes to the cross what matters, what's important. And here's what he says in John 15, 1 through 14. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. 
I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And so, Lord, right now I pray. Lord, I pray that we would abide in you. I pray that we would remain in you. I pray that we would be in communion and fellowship with you. And Lord, I pray that your word would be in us. I pray that we would abide and remain in you as we listen to you right now so that we can obey what you command, so we can show our love for you, knowing how much you love us. Lord, I pray we would have ears to hear right now what you want to say, that our hearts would be soil that is prepared and ready to let the word of the gospel grow and bear fruit in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, 11 times in 11 verses, verses 1 through 11, Jesus uses the word remain. The ESV version and some other versions will translate that word abide. I really kind of like that word better, abide. You will abide in me. I think it has some of the imagery that captures what Jesus is trying to say here. You remain, you abide in me. You have fellowship with me. You have communion with me. You're in relationship with me. That's what it means to abide in Jesus. It's about relationship. And in John 15, it answers three questions. that I want us to look at the three questions that it answers. Three general broad questions. The first question is this which is, what is abiding? What is abiding? What is this? And to answer that question today, I'm going to use a graphic. I'm going to use this picture. And uh, as I use this picture, and as we kind of develop it, and you see it on the screen, uh, this is going to give you a mental picture of John 15. It'll give you a, a, a simple, memorable reproducible tool that you could even use if you were to talk to someone about John chapter 15 that'll help you remember it. And so you'll have this memorized. This will be etched into your mind. It'll help you grapple with what abiding in Jesus looks like, what it means, how we grow intimacy with Jesus and the Father. And the first thing you'll notice in the graphic is this large heart and the text that we just read, John 15, 1 through 4. And the reason for the large heart is this text really is about God's love for us, our love for Him, and, and our love for other people. It's about relationship. God's love for us, our love for Him, and relationship with people. It's about relationship with God and others. This is what this overarching text is about. And when you read in John 15, 7, where Jesus says, If my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And when Jesus is saying that, he's showing us what it means to abide in Jesus. So on the left part inside this heart, we draw a a Bible with the cross. This is the scriptures. These are the words of God. He says, if my words abide in you, if you have my words, then he says, ask whatever you wish. Pray, speak, reach out to me. The, the arrows up and the arrows down show our prayer life where we ask, we petition God. This is the arrow up. We're coming to the Lord. But then the arrow down shows that God answers those prayers. He responds to the prayers and it will be given to you. The arrow up and down shows us in prayer. It's like breathing. It's like breathing where as we breathe out our prayers to God, as we petition and speak to him, we then breathe in when we listen to him and we hear what he has to say. 
And if abiding with Jesus means everything for us, that meaningful time alone with God, we have to have the scripture that we're engaging with. And that's why even this year, we've been going through the year of Bible engagement. If you don't have kind of the bookmark that shows where we are in our journey, you can pick one up at the Next Steps room right now in our central lobby. But this is also on our website. It's in our app. You can just click on it, follow along with us through our Bible engagement. We want you to engage with the scripture so it becomes a part of you. It's in you. But also we must pray. Prayer to the Lord. And when we're reading God's word and praying prayers according to God's word, the promise is ask whatever you wish and Jesus gives it to you. The Father will give you what you ask for when you're in alignment with his word. That's how important it is. And so just think back to your prayers over this past week. If God had said yes to every prayer that you prayed this past week, what kind of impact would that have made? What, what significant difference would that have in your life? If you had prayed every prayer and God said yes to that prayer, what kind of kingdom impact would it have had? Would lost people be saved? Would dead, spiritually dead people be coming alive again? Would more workers be in the harvest field? Would there be unity among the body of Christ? Would you be more like Jesus? Because think back to your prayers. If God said yes to everyone, what would the outcome be? Were we praying the scripture? Were we praying to God? Were we even talking to God? Because this is what it means to abide in Jesus. And so this is about the love of God and our love for him. And it's about scripture. It's about prayer and abiding. And then, and then Jesus says this in the text in verses 9 through 10. He says, so remain in my love and keep my commandments. This is what it means to abide in Jesus. Remaining in his love, keeping his commandments. It means to lovingly obey. It's, it's why we have this little heart inside the big heart with this arrow pointing out, showing that, that this is love expressed. This is obedience to God. This is doing what he says to do. This is doing what Jesus did. Jesus says, you remain in my love when you obey what I command. It's loving obedience. So our obedience is not rooted in fear, fear of God. He's going to punish us or judge us. That's not, that's not the motive for our obedience. And the motive of our obedience is not obligation. I'm just doing it because I have to. And the motive of our obedience is, is certainly not just so I can get out of it, whatever he's going to give me. I want all the rewards and the blessings. Give me, give me, give me. That's not the motivation either. Instead, the motivation is love. It's his love for us results in us loving him and wanting to obey him and wanting to follow him. So it's loving obedience. We do this because of our love for him. This is how you abide in Jesus. This is how you remain in Jesus. And then finally, the last graphic is this picture of the sun or light. This is shining light. And the reason for this graphic is because of what it looks like to abide, to have fellowship, to have communion with Jesus. We can look at another text that John also wrote in 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, uh, verses, I said that backwards, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And it's in this text where John talks about what it looks like to walk in the light. And in the text, he says that God is light. And if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in dark, darkness, we lie. And we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light and have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all, all sin. And if we confess our sins, he will forgive us of our sins. If, and then we can walk in the light. And so 
this text is really revealing that walking in the light is what it means to abide in Jesus. We're engaged in his word, we're praying to him, we're lovingly obeying him, and we're walking in light. And the way we walk in light does not mean perfection. It doesn't mean you never sin. It means when you do, you bring it into the light. You confess it to God. You confess your sins. And it says, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And James would even say, we confess to our brothers and sisters that we trust in the Lord so that they too can help us walk in the light and hold us accountable. We don't hide it. We don't contain it. We instead let it come out into the open. That's what it means to walk in the light of God. We don't walk in darkness. We walk in the light. And so this is what it means to abide in Jesus. It's scripture. It's prayer. It's loving obedience. And it's walking in the light. So here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes right now. Just close them. Close your eyes right now. And I want you to picture this graphic in your mind. So don't look at it. Just close your eyes. Picture it in your mind. And I want you to picture every symbol that you saw that reveals to you how to abide, fellowship, commune, with Jesus, how to stay connected to the vine. And I want you, just to yourself, you don't have to say it out loud, but just to yourself, just speak each word, phrase, represented by that image of what it looks like to abide in Jesus. Go ahead and do that to yourself right now. Just keep your eyes closed. I hope you're able to picture the scripture with the cross, the word of God, and the arrows up and down, your prayers to God, hearing, listening, speaking those prayers to him. You're able to picture the heart with that arrow showing that you're gonna lovingly obey these commands of Christ and that you're gonna walk in the light. This is what it means to abide. This is why we need meaningful time alone with God, time so good we don't wanna leave. You can open your eyes, but I just want you to picture John 15 as being this image. Because it answers the question, what is abiding with Christ? What does it even mean? That's the answer. And the second question I want to answer is this one. What is the result of abiding? What's the result? What happens if we abide in Jesus, what's the outcome of this? And Jesus just starts listing them for us. I think we should go through these so we know the results of abiding. And the first one is this, you produce fruit. And John 52, when you abide, you stay connected to the vine, you produce fruit. I, I brought with me today, uh, I actually cut this off a tree right outside there on the far side of our parking lot this morning. Uh, went and got some loppers, cut it right off. Um, did a little pruning myself. You can see where some of the pruning was right here. Um, this is a branch. It's a branch. Um, let me just ask you this question. No matter how hard this branch tries to produce fruit, will this branch produce fruit? Yes or no? But if it were to try harder, that's what I'm saying. Like I've, This branch, I feel like is really a good branch. And like if he just tried harder, put a little more effort into it, don't you think he would produce some good fruit? Don't you think that's possible? Some new sprouts, some, some new growth. Don't you think that's possible for this branch? 
I mean, isn't this kind of what we do sometimes? This is how we kind of go through life. I mean, we're the, he's the vine, we're the branch. So is this kind of what we do when we're just like, at times we're just like, man, I got to really grunt this out. Like if this branch just, just tried really hard. Don't you think it could just produce some fruit? I mean, just, and that's, what, that's how we kind of go through life. We're just going to try harder. We're going to put out more effort. I really hope this isn't poison ivy, by the way. I don't think it is. I, don't, I think it was a tree. Um, but we just try harder and we're going to put out the effort and then nothing happens. That's why the text begins by talking about what happens to someone who bears no fruit. It's not good. It's what we're going to look at here in a minute. But unless you're connected to the vine, it's impossible to bear fruit. That's how ridiculous we look to God when we're not abiding in him. We're not connecting to him. And yet we're going through the motions of spiritual activity as if it's going to produce something. Like we're putting out the labor, but it's not bearing fruit. And so if we would abide, if we stay connected, we bear fruit. That's the result. And here's the other result. We get pruned. You'll you'll get pruned. And, And that hurts sometimes. I mean, we don't want to get pruned. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable. But God prunes us. He cuts off at times things in our lives to make us more fruitful, more productive. In fact, that's what we see in this text is a progression. In John 15, 2, it says, it starts off telling us about those with no fruit, but then it starts to tell us those who abide in Jesus have fruit. And then he prunes us to make us more fruitful. And then it says, eventually we will bear much fruit. This is John 15, verses 2 through 8. It's a process it's a pruning process of growth that makes us more productive, more fruitful. You may not enjoy it, but it is so worth it. Why? Because the text goes on. Because then your prayers will be answered. You ask and you receive. When you're abiding in Jesus and his word, when you pray, the prayers are answered. You receive because you're praying in accordance with his word, not just your wants. And then he goes on to say, you also will show yourself to be a disciple if you stay abiding in Jesus. You'll show yourself to be a disciple. If you're not abiding in Jesus, it doesn't show that. That's why someone could follow you for an entire week and not learn anything about disciple making. Because you're not abiding in Jesus. And the text also says, if you abide in Jesus, you'll have a deepening love for Christ, for God, but also for people. You'll deepen your love for God and for people. I mean, that's what happens. That's the results of this. This is the productivity of this. And not only that, but in verse 11, it says you, you will experience joy. That's what abiding in Jesus will produce, joy. And it says also you will be called a friend of God in verse 14. You're a friend of God. The benefits of abiding in Jesus in his word and prayer and loving obedience and walking in his light. I mean, it's incredible. It's great. Why would we not do it? Why would we try to go through life without abiding in Jesus? Which leads us to the third question. Which is, what is the result if we're not abiding? Because Jesus covered that too. What happens if we're not abiding, we're not in communion and fellowship with Jesus, then what? Well, you're cut off from God, you are fruitless, you can do nothing, and you're thrown into a fire and you're burned. You're useless for the kingdom. You're not staying connected to your only life source. The only way, the only way to be productive, to receive what you ask, to show yourself to be a disciple, to deepen your love for God and others, to experience joy and be called a friend of God is if you abide 
in Jesus every day. And so when you look at this graph, this should just take you to the heart of John 15. So you know this is what it looks like to abide. It's to read scripture. It's to pray. It's to lovingly obey. It's to walk in the light. This is what it means to abide in Jesus. There was a pastor from India that was looking at common threads that are seen when we look at incredible disciple-making movements around the world, like miraculous movements where numbers of people are coming to faith and where the gospel is advancing and good news is advancing. And they were just looking at what are the elements there? What do those followers look like? And one of the things that, that was mentioned was, I thought was interesting, was that the movements of God always start with a leader who knows God deeply And they always end when followers know only the leader deeply. I want you to hear that. Movements begin when a leader knows God deeply. And they always end when they know only the leader deeply. And he said, we must know him, Jesus. We must know him deeply. And make disciples whose primary attachment is to Christ himself. That's what it means to abide in Jesus. If we're not raising up and teaching disciples to abide in Jesus, say connected to the vine, to live in Jesus, then movements die if they're just connected to a person. It's got to be to Jesus. Because only Jesus can produce fruit. Only Jesus can grow. Only Jesus can produce something that's actually legit and meaningful and real. Disciples have to see you abiding in Christ for them to abide in in Christ. So when was the last time you had meaningful alone time with God? Time so good you didn't want to leave. Time in his word where you were experiencing the holy presence of God. Because abiding in Jesus is critical for movement. And when you look at disciple making movements around the world. I want you to look at what two different people observed. One when they looked at what was happening in Africa. Another one that was looking at what was happening in India. Then we'll look at what was happening in the early church. And I want you to see, are there any commonalities between them? Chris Galanos uh, from Lubbock, Texas, was talking about common characteristics they were seeing in disciple-making movements in Africa. And they wrote some of these things down for us of what they saw happening there in Africa. They said this, Many Christians pray and fast every week at least two meals in one day. So when they looked at what was happening there, they found Christians who, like every single week, they would take one day out of the week and they would pray at least two meals, say breakfast and lunch. And they would pray during those meals. They they would pray to God and fast, praying for movement, praying for lost people. Number two, he said, many new Christians gathered regularly. And sometimes these were lengthy prayer vigils. Sometimes all night, sometimes six hours. But they would have times when they would come together for a lengthy prayer time. He said midday prayers were common. Uh, if, if there were churches or ministry teams or people that were gathering together in proximity together, they would pray midday for things. They said personal disciplines every morning to start their day were very common. Sometimes it might be one hour of prayer, two hours. Those who are really doing a lot with disciple-making movements, three hours of prayer a day. They also said 
Five, that family devotions centered on discovering the Bible together and praying together were common. Those were some of the things that they saw happening in Africa. I'm going to describe what Josh Howard said was happening in India and just see are there some correlations. Because he said with these movements of disciples in India, here's what they found. He says they, they saw people develop daily, weekly, and monthly rhythms of abiding in Jesus. <coughs> So they daily abide, they daily abide with Jesus in prayer. Maybe some of this sounds familiar. They're daily worshiping, praying, adoring, spending time in the Word, and praying for movement every day. He said the best multipliers in India were spending two to three hours of prayer every day. They're not just praying for needs, they're praying for the lost, for people by name, for lostness in their city. They're praying for movement and revival. That's what they're doing daily. Weekly, they're praying by going into the harvest uh, and meeting as a church. So they fast one day a week for the sake of movement, for the sake of revival. He said God has tied fasting with spiritual breakthrough. And so that's where you just pray, God, make me hungry for people for the lost like I'm hungry for food right now. You just allow that to happen. They would regularly pray with teams of people. Sometimes they would pray all night. Does that sound familiar? They, have, they would have weekly gathering as a church to study and obey God's word. That's what was happening weekly. And then monthly, they would spiritually retreat and they would train. And so they would have a day or two during the month when they would spiritually retreat, spend time with Jesus, make sure their heart and mind was right with the Lord. And, but then they would also spend time training training for disciple making and new believers and new disciples and help train them for the very same work. Maybe you're picking up on some similar themes to what was happening in Africa, what was happening in India. And then when we look at the early church, you, know, you open up to the book of Acts describing the early church. And you look at chapters one, two, three, four, and see what was tracking there and what was happening. And you begin to see what it looks like around the world for believers to abide in Jesus. Because in Acts one fourteen it says they met together and were constantly united in prayer. They were constantly praying. And then in chapter 2.42, it says all the believers devoted themselves. What to? The apostles teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and to prayer. They were devoted to that, praying, abiding in Jesus. In Acts 3.1, it said Peter and John, they went up to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon. Why? To pray for the midday prayers. In Acts chapter 4, as soon as Peter and John were freed from persecution and imprisonment, all the believers came together with them and they lifted their voices in prayer to God. So they're wrongly imprisoned because of their faith. And what do they do? They didn't form a protest and start marching. What's the first thing they did? The first thing. They prayed. And look at the result. The place where they were praying in 431, it was shook. And the Holy, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God with great boldness. That should be our first result. The, the first effort that we do is pray and then see what the Holy Spirit does. This is what we see in the early church. It's what we see in Africa. It's what we see in India. They're devoted to prayer. And it's pretty easy to be convinced when you look at what's happening in all these places of our own prayerlessness especially when we compare it to our brothers and sisters around the world and how they in the early church abided with Jesus. They just spent time praying. And that's what's essential. That's what's needed to be connected to the vine. Abiding is not automatic. 
It's not. It requires intentionality. So I want to today give you some next steps that I want to challenge you to embrace this week. Some things that I think in light of all of this, what it means to abide in Jesus, you could take and do this week, every one of these things. And it's centered around prayer and God's word. And here's the first thing. I want to challenge you to commit this week to extraordinary prayer. And before you feel overwhelmed by this, go ahead in your mind right now and just put a hyphen between extra and ordinary. Because that's all extraordinary is. It's just extraordinary prayer. So just start where you are. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you pray five minutes, ten minutes a day. So maybe extra for you would be to pray 20 to 30 minutes a day. Just add extra. And that would become extraordinary for you this week. Maybe you spend an hour every single week in prayer. But what would that look like if you spent two hours in prayer? That would be extraordinary. And before some of you start getting really scared about, I don't know, how do you, how can you even pray that long? I'm going to show you how in a minute. I've got some tools for that. But extra can just mean extra time, and it also can mean extra content. Extra time, a little more time in prayer, but content may be that you start actually praying Scripture, and you pray what the Word of God says. That will inform your prayer, and now all of a sudden you'll find your prayers being answered because you're praying according to the will of God. So pray according to the Scriptures. Pray for the lost and the broken, for workers in the harvest field, for unity and the things that Jesus tells us to pray about. Prayer is the foundation of which everything is built. Oswald Chambers said this, prayer does not fit us for greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. We need to pray. So I want to challenge you to commit to extraordinary prayer, whatever that means for you this week. Here's the second thing. I want to challenge you this week to fast over two meals on whatever day you choose. Maybe it's breakfast and lunch and, and, and you fast for those two meals. You don't eat. Instead, you spend that time praying to the Lord, praying for the lost, praying for the harvest, praying for workers to go, praying for people to know Jesus. And you, you pray for people by name. And so you just spend that time praying. I want to challenge you to do that this week because it puts us in a position to receive God's greatest blessings. Number three, I'm going to challenge you to choose a prayer tool to use this week. I'm going to give you three prayer tools you could use. This would automatically allow you to pray with no problem about any length of time that I've already mentioned. The first one is this. It's called the prayer wheel, and we adapted this from Ignite. But this is a prayer wheel where you just spend five minutes on each one of these categories, starting with worship, moving to confession, to intercession, to people, places. And you just spend five minutes, set an alarm on your phone, or watch for each of those things. And when you pray five minutes for each of those things, you'll have plenty to pray about. Next thing you know, it's been an hour. Twelve things, five minutes. Each thing, it's been an hour of prayer. That's how you pray for an hour. It's simple, reproducible tool that you can use. Many in our life groups are going to be doing that this week and using this tool. It's the prayer wheel. Here's another tool you could use. Uh, I don't recommend all of these just this week. I'm just giving you different tools. But here's one called Bless Every Home App. The Bless Every Home App. 
You download this on your mobile device. I did that this week just to look at it. I've done it one other time, but it's been a while, so I downloaded it again this week. Immediately, you know, Chris asked for my address. He immediately pulled up five neighbors for me to pray about that I could pray for this week. Um, two in the list are ones that go to church here, so I was able to pray for them. Then there are others in the list, and there's even one name. I didn't even know who that was. Wait, which number? Which neighbor is that? But it's just, those are all public records, right? Uh, our addresses, where we live, that kind of stuff. And so it just pulls it up, and you can pray for your neighbors that way. And so it's just pulling from all that information. And you, you know your neighbors by name. You can pray for them, pray specifically for them. When you see them, ask for ways that you can pray them and engage in that. You can even mark off, I prayed for them. You can keep, keep personal track for how you're praying for people around you and in your neighborhood, for, for the own people that live near you. And so that's a Bless Every Home app. Here's another uh, site you could go to. It's prayer.global. So this next one is prayer.global. And uh, I was introduced to, to this by some of our global workers. And it just uses demographics and guided prayers and images and maps so that you can pray for a specific location. It has you pray for that for one minute. You pray for that location for one minute. After a minute, it'll prompt you and say, did you pray for that location? If you say yes, uh, it can move you to a different location uh, if you want to pray. But it's also in that moment moving on. So when other people pray, it gives them a different location. So that the whole world, it's like a relay. It's so that the whole world gets prayed for. And that's the goal of this app, is that the, the entire world is, is getting prayed for, every location on planet Earth. I mean, these are simple tools that would immediately not only increase your prayer life, it would increase the amount of time you're praying, but also would lead you to pray for the things you ought to be praying for. And then here's a fourth thing I want to encourage you to do this week. Just do a prayer walk. You can do it in your community. You can do it in your neighborhood. You can do it in where you work. You can just walk and pray for the people you see. And when you cross or pass with someone or you come across someone, you can just say, hey, I'm just, I'm just praying for people right here in North Springfield or wherever you are in this, just in this business office. And I'm just praying for people today. Is there anything I could pray for you about? Anything on your mind I could pray about? I've never had anybody turn me down for praying for them, at least not yet. I'm sure it'll happen someday, but not yet. And just, can I pray for you? And oftentimes, depending on the reception, you'll find that you can just pray for them right then and there. Oftentimes, their response would allow for that. And pray for them. And depending on that response, there may be an opportunity to share the gospel with them and have more conversation. But start right now by just prayer walking and praying for people. The more we pray, the more we sense our need to pray. And the more we sense our need to pray, the more we will want to pray. And when you start praying, you'll come to love it so much. You'll start looking at this as the most meaningful time of your day, time in his word and in his holy presence. And you won't want to leave. That kind of hunger and thirst is what Christ is looking for, and it's essential because we're in a spiritual battle and we desperately need it. I just want you to consider those things, that you would pray, that you would commit to extraordinary prayer, that you would fast two meals one day this week. You would use a tool so that will help you accomplish that, and you'll just prayer walk wherever you are, prayer walk in your community. Those are action steps we could take right now. And this is essential for us to press into new areas with the gospel. It's essential for us to abide with Jesus where his word and prayer and loving obedience and walking in the light 
allows us to have deep fellowship and communion with Christ in a meaningful way. So I want to take just a little bit of time right now just to listen to the Lord, to listen. I'm going to ask just the lights be dimmed here for a moment. Corey's going to step out here and take us just through a, a guided time where you can just begin to abide with the Lord right now. So as he does, let's just have a personal time between you and the Lord as Corey leads us. Bearing fruit is the result of abiding. Our close proximity to Jesus produces power. So I think it's wise for us to take a little bit of time, some space, that we can be still and quiet before the Lord. And and we do not do this well. We distract ourselves with busyness and noise. But it is important for us to be still before God, to have a posture of listening and receptivity. In this time, as we practice that discipline, we may not necessarily feel like we're hearing anything. But that's kind of not the point. The point is just to be with the Lord. Do you have a friend in your life? Uh, Maybe it's a family member, a spouse, someone that you would say, you can just be together with them and you don't have to say anything. You don't have to manufacture anything. You can just be together and that's enough. My wife and I can just be together and that's enough. We don't have to entertain one another, right? Keep one another busy. And I think sometimes God is just saying, I want to abide with you. I just want to be with you. And we need that quiet space for that. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. He's God. He's here. That's enough. So in this quiet space, maybe God will say something to you. Maybe he won't we reach out. So God, here we are in this space with you. We're ready. Say what you need to say. Listen to whatever we need to say. Mm -hmm. We're just glad.
Lord Jesus, you are our Emmanuel. You are here. And we abide in you. As we do, we pray for your help in bearing fruit. We ask for evidence of our love for you. We ask that others would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Even as the grape is not for the benefit of the vine or the branch, but for those who are not connected, may the fruit that we bear benefit those who are not yet connected to you. And as branches that are the most heavy laden with fruit are the ones that bow the lowest, may we keep in mind the value of willful humility as we bear fruit to bless others. May our abiding and bearing fruit be for the purpose of glorifying the Father. And may our desire to glorify God fuel even more obedience. And we ask this in your precious and powerful name. Amen. This is the moment that we begin to respond to what God has challenged us to do through his word. So let's stand to our feet as we do, because we're now going to take steps in his direction. We're, this is loving obedience. This is working out what we've heard today from God's word. And we want this to be the prayer of our heart. We want to respond to this today. And, and you can do that as you leave today, just right from where you are. But if perhaps today you want to pray with someone, or you want to begin a relationship with Jesus. Or you need to take a next step of faith, of belief, and be baptized into Christ. And you want to have that conversation. Or you want to be a member of this church. And I would love to meet and talk with you. I'll be heading out to Decision Point right out here in a moment. would love to meet you there as we sing. If you're watching online, you can go to our website there on the screen to begin that conversation with us. And as you leave today, as an act of worship, of commitment to the Lord, you can give your offerings in the boxes at the back of the room or to the instructions that you see on the screen. But may this be the day when we choose to leave today saying, I'm going to abide in Jesus. I'm going to have meaningful time alone with God. So meaningful, I do not want to leave. As I engage Him through Scripture and through prayer and through loving obedience and walking in the light, I will know what it looks like to commune with Jesus. May we increase our prayers this week for this very purpose. And so let's have that be the reflection of our heart as we sing. And I'll meet you right over here. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.